I'm Rob. I'm Michelle. And this is Two, Two Librarians, librarians Walk Into a Shelf. Welcome to episode 42. A classic two books and a movie episode. You know it. You listen to plenty of these. Uh, we're going to cover a book that we each read and then a movie that we both watched. But first, we have some exciting news. Do you want to you tell them the exciting news? you want to share this? Yeah. I was going to say we're taking the show on the road, but we're not really taking it on the road. We're just taking it outside. Uh, we're showing some movies at the library this summer, and we've hijacked two of them. That's right. We have wormed our way into this summer movie festival at Madison Library to present to you, drum roll please. <laughs> That's the world's worst drum roll. The two librarians <laughs> walk into a shelf. Cheesy sci-fi summer movie spectacular. And if it's any easier to remember, just remember it by the initials, T-L-W-I-A-S-C-S-F-S-M-S. -S -S -S. I don't think that's better. <laughs> I thought everybody talks like that. They have to just make it easier to remember. Who's going to remember two librarians walk into a shelf, cheesy sci-fi summer movie spectacular when they can just remember T-L-W-I-A-S-C-S-F-S-M-S? -S -S -S. I don't have an answer to, for that today. That's an acronym for... Two librarians walk into a shelf, cheesy sci-fi summer movie spectacular? Yeah, or T-L-W-I-A-S-C-S-F-S-M-S. -S -S <laughs> the first movie we're going to show, we're going to show Plan 9 from Outer Space on June 24th. And instead of talking about the movie, how about we get a preview? The mysterious, the unexplainable, that is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. You believe there are such things as flying saucers, Colonel? Flying saucers, Captain, are still a rumor. We've had contact with radio. Plan will you follow now? Plan 9. Plan 9 deals with the resurrection of the dead. Have you attempted any of this plan as yet? Yes, Excellency. It's too bad it must be handled this way. You see? You see? Your stupid minds! Stupid! Stupid! My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about grave robbers from outer space? And that was the original title at one point. Grave until, Robbers from Outer Space? Yes, until a church got involved uh, with financing the feature. Interesting. And they didn't like the idea of, of financing a film with the word grave robbers okay. in the title. And we'll get into some of that history, not a whole lot, but we will uh, introduce the film. 
Yeah, we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Share some some facts. Uh, that's June 24th. We will start when it's dark enough. About 8 p.m. About 8 p.m. Um, Bring your own snacks. Yeah, uh, please. We won't. We used to do popcorn and whatnot. We won't be doing that. But everybody can bring your own snacks, and we'll just uh, we'll get out there and we'll have a good time. And that's two librarians walk into a shelf, cheesy sci-fi summer movie spectacular, or T L W I A S C S F S M S. Yes, you make it so easy to remember. <laughs> When you say everything with a question mark. <laughs> we hope to see you there. Please, yeah, let's go and have some fun. That's going to be, it's been too long since we showed any movies out there, so. Yeah, it'll be good on the big screen in the back. Before we get into the two books and a movie, I did want to mention, uh, we have recently learned that one of our teammates, we've lost one of our teammates, Leonard, our security guard, when we first opened up this new branch. I think he'd been with the library for a while. And came over from the old library. Uh, Leonard was one of those just spectacular, magical people. And uh, he, <laughs> I have so many great memories of working with Leonard. Uh, he was that guy that, you know, I knew that he wasn't a scary dude. But if you're a little kid running around the library and you come around the corner and Leonard's standing there waiting to tell you to slow down, that was a little intimidating. He had that cop, not not like I have too much authority and don't know what to do at cop demeanor, but like he was a, he was an ex police officer, yeah. So he knew how to command himself in a way that was serious but friendly. Yes, and as as tough as he'd want you to think he was, I saw him. Oh yeah, I saw him give plenty of kids a piece of candy to get a smile on their face, or yep. while somebody was crying, he could turn that that around. Uh, Leonard was great. Uh, the last time I communicated with him was last year via text, uh, just checking on him and his wife uh, when we were locked down. My favorite memory was one night we had a late night after hours event. I think it was a birthday party, something like that. And it was, it was me and Leonard in the library and I brought a couple Westerns for us to watch. So we, we had our snacks, we had our our cokes and our our sandwiches, and we're in the conference room playing these westerns. And every fifteen twenty minutes, we'd have to pause it so he could make his rounds, walk around, and make sure everything was okay. Well, we got to the end of the movie, <laughs> and I asked, "Do you want me to pause it?" And he's like, "No, no, no, I don't need to do my rounds." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> you go ahead and watch the rest," because it was building and building and building. Yeah. So I did the last round, Aww. and when I came back, he's like, "Oh, you got to When you get home, you got to watch this because it's great. Because so and so does this, and so and so does that." And I was like, "Well, I don't have to watch it now." <laughs> you, you, you told me. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, Leonard was great. We all loved Leonard, and um, in this weird world, we're. We're not keeping up with everybody like we'd like to. We have just found this out, and it made us all really sad. But Leonard's the kind of guy. <sighs> Leonard's the kind of guy that, um, as sad as having to say goodbye is, you're just so thankful and lucky to have been able to say hello. Yes. So Leonard, we we remember you and miss you, and you are awesome. Yeah, we we miss Leonard a lot. So, all right. 
two books and a movie. Let's get some book, some bookage talk. Why do you have to make things weird? <laughs> That's the library weasel. Oh, God. You brought Polly Shore into it, too? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> you know I hate Polly Shore. <laughs> this is why people ask questions about, like, where do you guys go on vacation? <laughs> That was a real question. That, so oh, we got the best feedback about that question, and I'm going to include that now. I didn't plan on it, but I'm going to. We had someone we did send have. us some feedback <laughs> about our 20 questions episode about uh, the question that someone asked. This comment is from Amanda, and it's a great comment. I'm going to read it. I don't know who asked the vacation question, but I want to thank them. Now I have a sitcom playing in my head of Rob and Michelle going on an adventure, playing pranks, and getting into some I Love Lucy-style trouble. Then cut to their spouses, having to get them out of trouble. They roll their eyes and say, oh, you guys, with a laugh track. (laughs) That comment brought me so much joy because that's exactly what we were going for. Yeah, yeah. And it was a real, we can't say who asked the question, but it was a real question because I was like, is that a real question? And you're like, yeah, that was a real question. I mean, I did just say it was Amanda. No, no, no. The question itself. Oh, no, we can't give that away. We can give away our comment. Yeah. And we, oddly enough, have been asked to do that TV show. So we're going to be doing that. uh, It's going to be Netflix this summer. No one would pay us to do this. (laughs) We're going to travel around getting into shenanigans. All right. Oh, you guys. You guys. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What book do you have for us this week? I have Ghosts and Girls of Fiction House. Is it greasy? No. No, 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 no. This is a graphic novel. This falls into the horror comics that I've been discovering lately. Okay. Uh, This is a collection of horror comics from the Fiction House line of comic magazines. Uh, It's a collection from their Jumbo Comics title. And Jumbo Comics was a giant comic magazine that featured a number of different stories from different genres. There was always a comedy story, an adventure story, a sci-fi, and then the horror. And the horror feature was the Ghost Gallery featuring supernatural detective Drew Murdoch. Uh, The stories were always similar, where there was like a young woman in distress and an old guy trying to get his hands on a piece of property or a gem that the young lady has just found or inherited. And then there's a supernatural presence to be dealt with. By the story's end, Murdoch has solved whatever crime has happened, but not always the supernatural phenomenon, leaving that door open that maybe somewhere along the mystery there really was a ghost. Hmm. So typical ending, the last couple panels, the old guy trying to make the young girl believe there was a curse on a gemstone or whatever, Murdoch realizes that he's the guy who's trying to make the curse seem real, and he's committed all the crimes that he's attributing to the ghost, all but one. And there's no way to explain that last one. Oh, dear. Yeah. So these are from the 50s. The male characters all kind of talk like gangsters from cheap gangster movies. The women are always prim and proper. Women were always dames or broads. <laughs> what does that even mean? Or skirts. Oh, dear. Uh, the male ca- characters always 
uh, say they're overreacting. Like, there's no ghost here. But the guys were always the villains with very few exceptions. So it's interesting to read these examples of some of the other horror comics from the 50s since I'm only familiar with the EC line. These are definitely not of EC quality at all. Horror comics were still maturing and evolving, but this was still kind of an enjoyable trip checking out the uh, fiction house horror of the era. What about you? What did you read? Well, I've been watching some documentaries that I found on Netflix about art fraud and like art heists. Oh, and you, you know like how the heist. I, you know how I like heists. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, an art heist. Notably, the Netflix series is called "This Is a Robbery" because supposedly the guys that that robbed the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, like, dressed as cops, knock on the back door, the security guard lets him in, and he says, "This is a robbery." This is the most stupid art heist. Like, it's not even, you can't even call it a heist. Like, the security guard lets them in because they're dressed as police officers. They, like, duct tape the security guard who's just, like, you know, a a pot-smoking college kid or whatever. Duct tape him to, like, a pole in the basement and then just go around and take, like, Rembrandt's right off the wall. Like, it's not even a heist. It literally is just a robbery. And they still don't know who did it. Yeah, I know. Okay, so that leads me to this book. (laughs) Rob is making faces at me. It's called Museum of the Missing, A History of Art Theft, and it's by Simon Haupt. Uh, So the the book kind of starts with, like, a history of art theft, which kind of goes back to, like, colonization. Like, European rich dudes taking their trips to countries who maybe don't have a whole lot of money and just taking their great works of art. The biggest example of which is some British nobleman goes to Greece and is like, huh, the Parthenon, that's cool, and just cuts all the carvings off the side of the Parthenon and takes them back to England. And so, like, Greece has been like, these are this is our cultural heritage. Can you please return these friezes back to our, like, where they belong? And the parliament has ruled that they have no jurisdiction to make the family give them back. Right? Like, it's enraging. But reading about other pieces of art that have gotten stolen, I don't understand why art is so expensive. I think it's just an exclusivity thing, but there's also a theory that it's just money laundering for the super rich. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So that's why someone would steal a piece of art. It would be, like, collateral for something else. Interesting. Yeah. So it was a pretty interesting book. There's lots of good pictures. Um, Another documentary that I know we have in the system that sometimes you can catch on Amazon Prime or other streaming services, it's based on a book. The book is called The Rape of Europa, and that's the same title of the documentary. And it's basically the story of how the Nazis went around Europe and stole all the art from everywhere and locked it up in caves, and most of it has never been found. So that's interesting. And part of that story that makes it so interesting is family members of people who lost everything they had in the Holocaust, like prominent, rich, old Jewish families that had art collections from famous artists that they bought when they were new and been passed down for generations, were, of course, seized by the Nazis. And some of those pieces have resurfaced, and the families are trying to get them back. 
So they're trying to like petition governments that like this is you, we can trace the origin of this piece of art. This is a portrait of my great grandmother. Can I please have my portrait of my great grandmother? But it was done by a famous artist now. And so now the museum's like, no, this is ours. It's anyway, so that one's fascinating too. But those two things kind of led me to this book that was in our collection here. And it was it was cool. Good. So the Nazis stealing all that art, does that have anything to do? I've always heard that Hitler wanted to be an artist and wanted. Did he have all that art stolen because he was an art lover? So part of it was he was an art lover and he wanted to collect all the things that he had decided were cultural artifacts to prove the Germanic race was superior to everybody else's. So anybody that he could deem as a Germanic artist was great art, classical art, and he hated modern art, hated it so much that he would seize modern art collections as well. And he made a museum, but he named it like the Museum of Degenerate Art or something. So it was like a whole museum full of modern art or anything painted by anyone who was suspected to be, you know, Jewish or... um, LGBTQ, um, and he put them in his Museum of G- Degenerate Art. So he stole all the art, some of it for display, some of it to reward his captains. Like, here's here's your reward for killing so many people. You get a Rembrandt. I don't know. It's just really weird. But all that's kind of explained in, in that book or that documentary, The Rape of Europa. It's also part of what the first chapter in Museum of the Missing is about as well. It kind of is a quick survey of like all these things, and then it goes into specific art heists from the last 100 years. Wow. So it's cool. The pictures are cool, but also depressing because you could never see those pictures again. Right. Like in person, you could never go and visit that. You cannot go into a museum right. and actually experience it. Luckily, like we that. have images of those pieces of art, but we don't have all of those. Anyway. So it's kind of sad. It's kind of enraging because the book itself kind of talks about, you know, the history of, we think of art heists. A lot of it really goes back to Spanish, Portuguese, British, Dutch colonizers in, you know, what we would call the Renaissance, going around conquering new worlds, which weren't new, of course, but whatever, stealing all their gold and anything worth value and then taking it back to Europe. And they don't, they're, they've not returned any of it, of course. Mm. Like all of King Tut's stuff, it's in Britain. Because the guy that unearthed that, it was just a, you know, his hobby as a rich, noble Englishman was to go to Egypt and participate in archaeological digs. And he was like, oh, this is mine now. Finders keepers. I get. And, you know, I would argue that that's definitely part of the cultural heritage of Egypt and should probably be in a museum there. It should be in a museum. <laughs> it should be in a museum. <laughs> Thank you, Indiana Jones, for implanting that line in our heads forevermore. <laughs> All right. What uh, what movie did we watch this week? We watched King of Staten Island. That's right. It was so good. This was a surprise. I, it, well, I can't say that it was a surprise. Let's, uh, let's talk about it. So King of Staten Island is from 2020, so it's new, new in the system. Pete Davidson is Scott, a rudderless 20-something, happy-to-have-no-direction-or-commitments kind of guy living in his mom's house and making zero plans for the future. Things change when his mom, a widow, 
and we find out that Scott's father was a fireman who died in a fire, begins dating again. Scott gets angry when he finds out her new boyfriend, Ray, is also a fireman and that he knew of Scott's father. Ray tries to bond with Scott, uh, but it's it's no good. It never works. This, this kid doesn't want to be anybody's friend. And eventually he gets him kicked out of his mom's house, and he <laughs> sadly goes to Ray for help. Uh, Ray actually puts him up at the firehouse where he works and lives, and there Scott starts to learn about uh, his father from people who knew him, people who worked with him, and then he also starts to learn something about himself. I think that's a, pretty much the movie right there. So from Judd Apatow, what what are your thoughts? What did you think about this one? It felt like a classic piece of Judd Apatow's storytelling. It was a, a coming-of-age piece, of course, which is what Apatow is known for. And, you know, I'm a fan. I know you're a fan. Freaks and Geeks, The Big oh, Sick, yeah. Trainwreck, Bridesmaids, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Undeclared. Those are my favorites. He's done more. Those are the ones that I can watch those movies a lot of times. Trainwreck was excellent. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that. They all mean something. They're, they're all about real characters. Yes. Um, and he's, he's also known for being able to tell a story about a turbulent time in someone's life, but with humor and poignancy. Um, and it's, cl- it's, it's clear to me that he cares about people and telling stories that he think will help people. Well, I went into it with certain expectations because yeah, he's involved, and all those expectations were happily met. Uh, the drama comedy tends to speak from a honest place, mm-hmm. and uh, Apatow has a habit, or a talent rather, of, of catching his characters that we instantly relate to yep. in these really vulnerable moments that just ring true. and. As much as I personally didn't like the character of Scott when he's first introduced, but I know that I was probably similar. Like, I think <laughs> we're all kind of like that when we're young and we're trying to figure out who we are. Sure. And we're all kind of a jerk to a certain extent. Like, he's cool around his friends, but then he's clashing with his mom and he's mm-hmm. clashing with his sister. And he doesn't mean to. I mean, he doesn't want to hurt them for anything, but his big, stupid, dumb mouth gets him into trouble. So he's definitely a character I understand. Right. But he's hard to like. He's de- he is hard to like. His Especially friends were hard to like. His friends are idiots. Yeah. Scott's that one guy in that group of friends that has potential to, to go away and not be that guy, but his dumb friends are going to hold him back. Yeah. And I see that a lot in life. And I guess, you know. I liked the addition of the girlfriend in the story. How she was like, this is not enough. Yes. This screwing around is not enough. And they give her a hard time for like wanting to go work for the city. And and why would you want to do that? And all, you know, all his screw off friends are, you know, dogging on her for having ambition. And she's like, y'all are idiots. Call me when you grow up. So I appreciated that. Again, it's a very relatable character. But what I did, I appreciated the most about her being in the story was that he didn't, she's not the one that changed him. He didn't change for her and she didn't make him change. He grew up and then like wanted her to know that he grew up because he cared about her. And I like that. That was kind of at the end of uh, Knocked Up 
when the Seth Rogen character finally had to grow up. Yeah. And he gets a job. And then that's sort of like a fantasy where he all of a sudden he's working this great job at a computer. And it, but he, it's the same thing where he proves mm-hmm. his, this seems so much re, more real. This yes. seems like this really could happen. Mm-hmm. And, and probably maybe to an extent it did because, you know, Pete Davidson co-wrote it. So I think that. Yeah, I think it came from some of his lived experiences. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, because I think that he had the potential to be Scott. He still does sometimes. You see I, him in the news. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he's tr- he's at least trying. Uh, and I know that a lot of stuff was from him. His father was a fireman. Mm-hmm. His father, Scott Matthew Davidson, died in the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. And Pete would have been a kid. Five or six? Um, I think I watched like a extras, like making the movie or whatever, and I think he was seven or eight. Okay, seven or eight. That's still pretty young to lose your dad. Yeah. And what a horrific day of history to lose your dad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you end up with the DVD and you have the special features, definitely watch that like 10-minute. Is it an interview with Pete Davidson? It's Kind of like uh, cut together pieces of in Pete Davidson, Judd Apatow. Oh, okay. And some okay. like pieces of interviews they, they did on like the press tour. Okay. And then, individ, you know, specific things that they wanted to talk about. That was worth watching to, to get that part of it. Like all that stuff about being a fireman and, you know, leaving your family behind. That was directly from Pete as a kid. Oh, sure. Why would you put yourself out mm-hmm. there for other people when you can be taken away from us? Yeah. And that's the kind of anger that kind of just stews in you yeah. as you get older. And and that's why I feel like this was a real character. It was true feelings. And it was a real struggle. I think that's why the movie works. Yeah, I agree. It really is from a place uh, that's real. Who do you think uh, wins the movie? Like, most valuable player? For me, mm-hmm. I absolutely love Steve Buscemi as the fire chief yep. that pulls him to the side, who always believes in him because uh-huh. he recognizes something in him from his dad, and he always liked his dad, even though his dad, that was all kind of really sweet how he found out about his dad, and they were like reluctant to talk about his dad because his dad is a guy, you know, he's a regular human being and, mm-hmm. and, and you know had his flaws and, and whatnot. But I love Steve Buscemi. What about you? You probably like the 11-year-old that gets the tattoo. <laughs> no, actually, I think the winner in the story is first as much as I hated Bill Burr to start with. Oh. Ray, the yeah. dad. So, you know, Scott's mom gets introduced to Ray because Scott convinces this 11-year-old kid to get a tattoo. And he runs home and he tells his dad and his dad shows up to yell at him. Of course, that's exactly what I would do if since my kid came home. I was like, yeah, this dude out in the woods gave me a tattoo. That's a I'm, sketchy story right yeah, there. I'd be like, I need t- to know which dude you're talking about. Um, and I did, wouldn't expect to talk to his parents, but there you go. Um, so he's not likable at first, but he, he softens up a little bit. Yeah, he was kind of a jerk, but... He's, and and expected Scott to just you know snap and be different, but he came around. So I think the character development is the winner in the story for me. What did you think of Marissa Tomei as the mom? I love her. 
She's I thought great. she's she's she is believable in every role she's ever in. True. And some people are not believable as certain things, but she is believable as mom. You can go back and watch, you know, '90s movies that she was in, and she's believable in those as well. I I really found myself endeared to her character because I understand that whole having lost your mm-hmm. spouse and then years later, just the idea of trying to date again will just make you sick to your stomach. And You're just thinking about it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. So I, and I, yeah. And I thought she played it with a lot of believability, mm-hmm. a lot of vulnerability. And she gets to a point that most characters in movies don't get to because it's a selfish I, I, well, I guess it could be considered selfish, but it's really not. You got to do what's best for you. You always have to put your kids first. But when your kid's like, what is he, 23, 24, 24, 25? 24, I think. Okay. When he's just laying on the couch and he's he's being a jerk, mm-hmm. when she has to, to to deal with that and does deal with it and kicks him out. No, there's, there's a point when you have to get serious with your kids no matter what. And if what's best for your kids is – a little tough love, then that's what's best. And I love that about her character. And she did it for Scott, but she did it for her too. Yeah. And uh, I just love that. I did. Oh, and, and uh, his sister was played by Maude Apatow. Mm-hmm. We've been watching her since she was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I remember her in Funny People. Was it Funny People? I never saw that one. Oh, that was a good one. I guess her and her sister have been in all of them playing sisters. I didn't see the other, the little one, but she's gone on and she's actually – an actress. She's in all kinds of stuff, not just her dad's movies now. Yeah. So I had one favorite joke and that's when his, his friends are complaining about the millennials. (laughs) Scott (laughs) has to remind them that we are the millennials. (laughs) That was was a good one. That was good. I laughed out loud at that one. I love that moment. (laughs) That was great. That was a good one. There was lots of laughter in that movie. It was a long movie. I know how you feel about long movies. When I'm going into one of his movies, um, you know I, I know I know what I'm getting into. Okay. But it's it's worth taking. I didn't think it was. I never felt that long. It didn't, and it didn't feel like it, there was stuff in it that didn't matter. No, no. Everything it, pretty much was there was, for a reason. It was a good piece of storytelling. It was solid. There's no. I didn't see any parts where. Like, that was silly. Like, why did they do that? Like, everything had a reason for being. Yeah. It was a very solid, solid uh, movie. So and who, who loses the movie? Who's the least valuable player? Oh. God, you don't want to say all these nice things about a movie and then and then pick on one person. Okay. Probably his dopey friends. But, yeah. But it, see, now I'm judging them by doing their job well because they're actors and they're just playing <laughs> they dopes. They were so dopey, though. Yeah. Those are like, we all know guys like that. We do. I'm sure there's dopey girls like that. Yeah. They were awful. They were. I'm I'm glad they were. The part they played was important, but I'm glad it wasn't about them. Yes. If the movie had been about him hanging out with them for the entire movie. I would have hated it so much. It would not have been a good movie. No. Because it wasn't that kind of movie. Like, this is a movie, it's a journey of this one character to find himself yep. and to find the truth that he's looking for. And those guys wouldn't have had, there was no room for them in that. But think, where they popped in, you're right. Yeah. I think my favorite scene, though, was at the ballpark when he's like, goes with Ray to see a ball game and all of his, like, 
fireman buddies are there and they're talking about how great it is to be a fireman. And, and Scott's like, no, what is wrong with you? I think you're all, well, he, he says something that I can't say. On right. Um, you know, his feelings about why would you, you all have families. Why would you, it's selfish. Why would you put yourself in harm's way like that? Tell them you'll be back and, and there for them and then miss all everything else in their lives. That was my favorite scene. It was a hard scene to watch, though. Yeah, because, you know, it's Pete Davidson as a guy mm-hmm. just saying it, yep. just purging it from his from his body, yeah. from his mind, putting it out there for the world. I think, though, that when something like that happens and you see other people, I you know, I get it. I understand where that character is coming from. Yeah, and then Steve Buscemi is like, no, let the kid have his feelings. Yeah, well, I mean, that's how he feels. Mm-hmm. He was a kid. His dad went out to help other people and didn't come back. Didn't come back. So. I recommend uh, this movie. I think it would be good for everybody. It was a great movie. Not for kids. No, 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 no. Good for adults and anybody who's interested in getting a tattoo from a guy in the woods. (laughs) I hope no one fits that description. Please, no one get a tattoo in the woods. (laughs) Uh, come to the movie night, and I'll give you a tattoo. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> we will not be giving out tattoos at Two Librarians Walking to a Shelf, Cheesy Sci-Fi Summer Movie Spectacular on June 24th. T-L-W-I-A-S-C-S-F-S-M-S and Tattoo Jamboree. <laughs> All right, guys. No matter what they say, no matter what they tell you, always remember, don't, don't trust, trust robots. robots. The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project. Now, we have the Zoomies now. Yeah. Oh, I got Coke and the candy is kicking in. I guess so. Okay. <laughs>